The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Welcome to Psych Up Live. I'm your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips, and on this show, we'll be turning up the psychological perspective on many life issues. As the former host of Psych Up on Casoso Radio, I joined with terrific guests to host 73 shows. This show is different because it includes you in the conversation. This is Psych Up Live. I welcome you to listen in and send in questions or comments about today's show at radiohostphillips.com. Today, the show is very important. With the recent transition of those in the media, like Caitlyn Jenner, we become increasingly aware of the struggle of transgender people to be recognized in a way consistent with their gender identity. Transgender men and women are those for whom the gender of their brain is disharmonious with their physical body. Essentially, they feel trapped inside the body of the opposite gender. It is very difficult for them and difficult and bewildering at times to those who love them. Today you're going to hear the inside story from a mother's perspective. Our guest is Jane Baker, the author of the book Trading Places, When Our Son Became a Daughter. Joining her today is Dr. Antonio Corretto, a licensed psychologist practicing in Farmington Hills, Michigan. She's a specialist in many areas, including gender variance and dysphoria, and she is a member of the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. Jane Baker and Dr. Antonio Corretto, it is my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Thank you for having us. Okay, I'm delighted to have you both. Jane, your book is a very powerful one, and it really tells the story of a family's transition. Can you share the journey that you took? Can we hear this mother's perspective? Thank you, Dr. Phillips, for giving me this chance to tell my story. Um, I'm the mother of an adult transgender daughter. In 2008, I had two sons. Today, I have one 24-year-old son and one 27-year-old daughter. This memoir that I wrote is not my child's story. It's about my emotional and educational journey as the mom, loving and supporting my child through gender transition while also struggling to overcome a deep personal anguish about it. I need to clarify for listeners that I start my story using masculine pronouns. Shortly before his 20th birthday in January 2009, 
um, my son Steve told me he was a woman. Although Steve had been planning to tell us about his gender dissonance in the near future, the disclosure at this time was kind of an accident. There had always been a mystery about my child through all the first 20 years of his growing up. He never seemed to fit in. He never found a place to really belong. Then in the few years leading up to this disclosure, he had been immersing himself in the study of women's issues and LGBT issues. And in late 2008, he developed a friendship with a young transgender man. But I wondered if he was finding companionship in his new group of friends. So on that winter's night in January of 2009, I asked Stephen to tell me more about his transgender friend and to explain gender dissonance to me. He explained that trans people are those with the misfortune of having physiological gender of their brain disharmonious with that of their body. There was something about this conversation that made me really anxious, and I wanted reassurance that Steve's interest in these matters was simply academic. And so I asked him to reassure me that he felt harmony between his body and brain, and I was expecting an immediate affirmative answer. Well, when the answer finally came after a very long pause, and the answer was no, that is when my story essentially begins. And I started out determined to find out and fix whatever else was really wrong with my child and denied the possibility that my child was really transgender because we were one of those families that never saw this coming. And I started out knowing nothing at all about trans people or their journey. So I lived my first year in relentless anguish, and I was filled with anxiety constantly in panic and fear. Who's going to love my child now? Who will hire him? Will somebody try to kill him? Perhaps the hardest part of that first year was going through the stages of grief. Steve moved ahead with transition, and we helped him move ahead, but I also continued to cling to the hope that we could fix him of, of the dissonance in some other way. But the child we raised and love began to fade away. He grew his hair out long. He had his facial hair removed. And I watched my son disappear. It felt like he was dying. Even though my child did not really die, my son Stephen ceased to exist. I think a 2009 is the last year I had with my son Steve. So I, I struggled with a paradox, too. Did Stephen really cease to exist, or did he never exist in the first place? Who did I raise for 20 years? So I had to grapple with with these concepts, with these complex concepts for a long time in order to begin to make progress through the journey. What helped you shift these feelings, Jane? Well, uh, one time... During the, the first year of the journey, I, watched a lot, I was watching a lot of TV documentaries about transgender people, and I was watching one about a transgender person, and they put the mother on the show for a minute, which was mm-hmm. great for me. Oftentimes, they didn't show the parents, and I, I really thought was, you know, wanted to see more of the parents' point of view. But this family had been through 10 years of the, of the process already, and they were laughing and happy on the TV show and seemed a little unrealistic to me at the stage that I was in at that time. Mm. Then suddenly, 
This mom turned to the camera, and it was like she was speaking right to me and said that her early years were devastating. She went through mourning the loss of her former child, and then she looked right at me and said it was like a death. And, <laughs> and hearing this, this, this truthful disclosure was the first realistic lifeline to reach me. Mm. And mom, from that point on, had my attention. She validated my grief. She gave me hope, and she changed the whole course of my journey right, right then and there. And I, would, I still remember that, and I would, would eventually use that same approach to try to engage other people who struggled like I did. Hmm. Let me I, ask you, Jane, did, do you think Sarah knew how hard this was for you in that first year? Sarah absolutely knew how hard it was for, for me. Um, I, I think that's why she remained very patient uh, with us. For her, it seemed like she was being patient with us. For me, it seemed like we were moving like a fast-moving train. <laughs> journey. Um, she couldn't feel what I felt because her dissonance was coming, was something that she felt from within. And I didn't feel that dissonance from within. I mean, I already felt whole. I already had a son. I already had two sons. But she Mm -hmm. was the one who was disharmonious, incongruent inside. But I already felt whole, and I had to move into the dissonance. Mm -hmm. Um, She was moving in one direction out of it. You were moving into it. Yes. Yeah. Mm. What made you write the book, Jane? Well, um, I didn't, I didn't um, start out thinking that I was going to write a memoir about it. Um, and all those journals from the first year would morph into the early chapters of the, of the memoir, um, including uh, my desperation and my questions and answers of uh, what I was generating in the background during that first year in my attempt to prove to my child and his therapist that they were probably making a mistake. Because I, you know, I initially felt, I didn't understand this, and I initially felt like he was heading for disaster. I spent a lot of time uh, researching and generating uh, questions to figure out what was really wrong with him. And, you know, I need to say that during that year, uh, we loved our child no matter what was going to happen. Even if the rest of the world abandoned us, or we would stay together as a family. Mm-hmm. And we helped Stephen in any way, and we paid for his therapy and all his physical procedures as he began taking steps to transition. But in the meantime, when he was beginning these steps, I was working in the background generating all these questions in my determination to get Steve to change his mind. And what happened is um, I ended up learning more and more about gender dissonance instead. Mm-hmm. And I can I give you one example. First thing I asked right out of the shoot. Why not inject more testosterone? And I learned instead that the chemistry of a trans woman's brain, like the brain of any woman, needs estrogen to feel right. Stephen mm-hmm. already had more than enough testosterone. Mm-hmm. And that is what created the gender dissonance in the first place. Injecting mm-hmm. more testosterone would only make the dissonance worse. Mm-hmm. So I learned these things and many more things. And instead of convincing Steve to change his mind, I was the one who became convinced that the real disaster would be if my child did not 
transition. So um, all of those questions and answers that I generated, no matter how sweet, a lot of them look to me now, um, made it into the chapters of the book because I think a lot of people starting out on the journey might have similar questions that, you know, when I look back, seem like I would never ask that question now, but that's where I was in, in the beginning of this journey. Mm-hmm. But it was really the things that happened to me during the second year of the journey that drove me to, uh, to, write, to write the book. And um, the second year of the journey was what doctors call the real-life experience. And it was the first year that we had with our daughter, with, our do- with the daughter, Sarah. And I watched, this was a turning point, because I watched Sarah emerge a happy, assertive young woman, identified by others as a woman. These were encouraging gains for her and a relief for my husband and I, because those initial fears and worries immediately disappeared. Mm. Nobody mm-hmm. attacked her. Nobody, our family did not abandon us. The world did not end. And once that became this huge relief, then I suddenly became aware of a communication gap that was developing between me and my new daughter. And uh, because she was feeling comfortable in her skin, finally, she was becoming argumentative and sassy with me. And this was unlike Stephen, who always interacted agreeably and submissively. Suddenly, I was the submissive one with this new daughter, and this new unfamiliar relationship added to my grief that Sarah was not the same person as Steve. And so... I, I think that Sarah was, in answering a question you asked me earlier, I think that she was a little bit unaware of how she, she was changing. And, and, you know, I guess through my eyes, it was, there's two sides to the story, but this, this new relationship kind of compounded my grief. And I sometimes think I wrote, want to write the memoir, knowing she'd read it, as a way mm-hmm. to try to communicate this with her about those early days because I think that when a loved one transitions, all the rest of us in the family must transition too. Mm. And we need to bridge a communication gap so families can work through gender transition together. And, and Do you I think, think that, Jane, that she realized that you were happy to see her happy? Well, oh, my goodness, yeah, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, we were, it was a huge, the first year we were not happy, I'll admit that, because I didn't see, I was so worried that this wasn't going to work, that she would be killed, that no one would hire her, and, you know, even though I felt the loss of, it felt like my child was dying, I knew, of course, that my child was not actually dying, and I had to grapple with my own, with my own challenges. But we, you know, I did, we didn't stop her, and as she moved ahead and we moved into year two, it was this huge change, even though I still struggled throughout year two because of these new things, like the kind of a new relationship that I had with her. Um, she was starting to make more friends than ever before. She was, seemed like she was walking taller. It was... Um, it was a relief that none mm-hmm. of these bad things that we had anticipated happening um, happened at all. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the things about 
uh, about the mysteries of, of uh, Stephen's childhood was, were beginning to make sense mm. as, as we you watched know, this transition. So, yes, she knew that we were happy, but she also knew that we, were, that we struggled. I, we didn't hide it. We, we tried to stay open. We are an open family. I, I guess uh, this one particular well, secret she had since puberty was just maybe a little bit too difficult to, uh, to disclose. Hmm. Well, let me just say this, but we were, we're going to have to take a break. The powerful, your book is unbelievably powerful. And the way you just described it now, I think it's so valuable that parents would hear they're not alone in the mystification and the loss, and yet the gain, and those family members who were transitioning, to hear it from your perspective, I think, and even your thrill to see her happier than she ever, ever was, is such an important message. We're going to take a brief break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live, and we're speaking about the transgender journey with Jane Baker, author of a beautiful book, Trading Places, When Our Son Became a Daughter. We're going to be speaking next with Dr. Antonio Corretto, psychologist and specialist in this area. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Families today face unique challenges. Marriage, parenting, and family forms have changed a lot in the last century. Family Matters with Dr. Virginia Collin will focus on building and maintaining healthy family relationships. We will discuss marriage, divorce, family mediation, parenting, lifestyles, and mental health. All kinds of family matters. Our show will feature guest experts and your participation, too. You can listen to Family Matters live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. 
Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're talking about the transgender journey. We just heard from author and mother Jane Baker. And now we're turning to you, Dr. Coretto. You're a specialist who's worked with transgender youth and families. What do you answer when families say, what causes this gender confusion? Why is this happening to my child? Well, I I have many answers for that. Um, I sometimes will start by pointing out that, you know, when we, when we look for a cause uh, to explain something, that becomes a slippery slope. Uh, though we may be inclined to want to know because it may legitimize what we're seeing, uh, it could very quickly turn into an attempt to uh, change uh, the outcome. So uh, having said that, uh, we don't know what the cause is. There are certainly studies that suggest that um, there may be some brain-based differences that could contribute to a transgender identity, but it's simply not just that, clearly, uh, if at all. Um, Probably the best guess we have at this time is that it's a combination of the classic nurture, nature, and critical periods of development. Um, but as I said, you know, we don't know for sure. Uh, there's no blood test. Um, so that makes it, as, as uh, Jane said, you know, kind of a mystical uh, thing to hear from your, your loved one. Mm. Well, now, many, it's funny, people will ask me, and it's one of the reasons I felt this show was so important. Um, they'll say, my niece is saying that she's transgender and my sister has no idea what this means and she's confused. What's the difference between being gay, being transgendered? What's the difference between identity and preference? How could we clarify that for listeners? Uh, sure. Well, uh, in, in simplistic terms, uh, colloquial terms, um, it's been said, you know, your, your sexual preference or orientation is who you want to go to bed with. Your gender identity is who you want to go to bed as. Uh, so um, it's it's a difference, you know, we're, attraction is is not mandated by a gender identity. We know that because there are gay, lesbian, and bisexual individuals. Um, and our gender identity develops first. Um, you know, eight-year-olds know whether they're male or female. They don't have a clue about sexual attraction. Um, so I think it is easy to confuse the two, uh, but, you know, one is a sense of internal sense of self in the world, um, and, and even potentially in the world alone. Um, you know, if you were on a desert island, you'd still have a gender identity. Uh, you know, acting on your sexual orientation might be a little bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if a parent um, says to you, I don't know if my child really has gender identity confusion or is just identifying with other kids or what he or she has seen in the media, if someone brings their youngster to you, what are the type of things you look for? What What is the the therapeutic position that parents might expect if they did a consult with you? Sure. 
Yeah, well, I, first of all, I would be very glad that they would be consulting with me or another professional that has experience of this sort because um, it, it is hard uh, for anyone to figure out uh, and having the research behind the process certainly helps. Um, so one of the things we look for is uh, this classic trio of insistence, persistence, and consistency. So if a kid has been insisting um, that their gender is different and if they are persisting in that across time and it's consistent, it's not just when it's convenient for me uh, or when I might get some you know, perks out of it, then that certainly is one variable we look at that is likely to, if you will, validate the diagnosis or the conclusion. Um, I often hear that question about the media, the Internet, Tumblr, YouTube. You know, Mm. this is just a fad. Um, My point, my response to that is often, well, your kid had to type something into that search bar to get there. Um, It just just didn't pop up on the screen like, uh, like spam. So, obviously, your kid was looking for an answer. Um, so I, I like to tell the parent, you know, this is a, a journey, as Jane has said, and I can help them in terms of uh, helping their youngster also figure out that difference, for instance, between sexual orientation and gender identity. Uh, also, gender role, masculinity, femininity mm. um, is different also than gender identity. Um, and, and adolescence is a difficult time um, where identity is kind of the, the major task at hand and fitting in is important. Um, and it is a, a tricky situation even for professionals. You know, our, our number one rule, above all else, do no harm, mm. um, which for some kids means <laughs> helping them figure out uh, what's really going on, and for others it means helping them figure out what's really going on and may involve a, a social transition. Mm. Uh, often people, I think, fear if the, and I'm not sure if Jane did, um, if they go to therapy, the therapist is going to convince them that they're transgender or they're going to sway them in some way. Um, and I know that that is not so, but I wondered... At what age do most parents bring the youngster, and do the youngsters open up and um, really use their work with you to figure it out also in a collaborative way with you, Jane? Um, uh, Dr. Coretto? Yeah. Um, I think there are some uh, typical age bands where where kids come into my office, uh, um, you know, brought by their parents for Male-bodied, let me start by saying, you know, many, many transgender individuals report knowing that they were gender dysphoric before school even started. Um, So school age, uh, the start of school, though, does tend to be a significant time, especially for male-bodied children, because the societal and cultural pressures to conform become intensified once they leave the safety of their uh, bedroom and, and backyard and go to school and go on play dates and get invited to birthday parties. So that's a significant time when I see a lot of um, young uh, assigned males. 
Um, for female-bodied individuals, you know, they can kind of get away with being a little gender variant or even gender, uh, you know, non-conforming. Uh, there's a lot more leeway for female-bodied individuals, and and for them, it's typically more adolescence when I start to see them come to my office. Um, so once girl, secondary girl's... secondary I'm... sex characteristics mm-hmm, start to develop, mm-hmm. um, and they feel betrayed by their bodies, it creates a bit of a crisis. It creates a great crisis, actually. Um, they often will. I get depressed, suicidal, start cutting. Uh, so that's the other age band where I see a lot of kids coming into the office. Um, so a kid could be a little a, a girl, um, biologically could be a tomboy and get away with it. But puberty, and I even think uh, that's what um, Sarah shared with Jane, puberty is a rough spot because that's the point at which Oh, now, now I'm really living in the wrong body. I guess that's the dysmorphic feeling. Right. Yeah, and I don't think, it's not that the, that the youngsters necessarily really believe that that wasn't going to happen. Right. Some do believe that it won't happen to them. Uh, many wish that it didn't, but, but then it, when it becomes a reality, um, it, it becomes uh, very upsetting and terrifying. What is, um, Dr. Credo? What is the journey, the transition journey? I'm an 18-year-old, um, and like Sarah, for instance, Jane's daughter, she needs to really be the woman she feels she is. What are the steps that someone takes in this journey from a therapeutic and medical point of view? Right. Yeah, so, you're, so I mean, I think Jane has done a good job uh, in her book talking about, you know, retrospectively Sarah's own personal journey and exploration and identification and coming out to self. And, and um, I want to add that, you know, Jane talked about her own grief process. And for the transgender individual, they too experience their own grief process as they come to terms with this is really who I am. Mm. Um, oftentimes there's quite a bit of lag in years between their own coming to terms with it, and then their disclosure to their family. Mm-hmm. Um, but regarding the transition specifically, that too is, is, can be a very lengthy and slow process. Um, coming out, um, using a preferred name and preferred personal pronouns, um, gradual changes in appearance, clothing, hair, speech, movement. Um, sometimes if... if Physical development has already occurred, uh, and there's an involvement of physically undoing some of that, electrolysis or laser hair removal or, um, you know, other variables to try to minimize secondary sex characteristics. Um, The first step in terms of a medical, uh, once there's a social transition um, or as that's going on, uh, the first step in a medical transition is often a hormone blocker to stop the body from really continuing to uh, tell the brain <laughs> that, that they are the gender uh, that they were assigned, uh, the sex they were assigned at birth. Um, and then often, you know, cross-gender hormones are administered as well to help the body then develop the secondary, some of the secondary sex characteristics uh, of the um, 
affirmed gender. Mm-hmm. Um, for some individuals, you know, uh, they eventually proceed along into uh, gender-affirming surgeries, but it's, it's actually a very small percentage, maybe a third of transgender indi- individuals who actually go that far. Um, it's not necessarily a requirement, um, and for some it's not a preference, and for others it's not a financial reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As, as people, men and women, make this journey, do you find, bearing on Jane's book, do you find they end up estranged from their family or families come to terms and embrace it? Just from what you've seen, and I know it's just a perspective of, of an individual therapist, but I'm just curious in terms of your caseload and the families you've dealt with, do they come to embrace this for their loved one? That's a good question, um, you know, especially given, as, as Jane so clearly articulate, articulated all the fears, you know, worst possible outcomes, we're going to be ostracized or my child's going to be killed. Um, and then thank you for acknowledging also that, of course, I have a skewed perspective, right, because if someone's coming to my office, there's already a, a, an undercurrent of acceptance or tolerance or a desire to at least get there. Um, Many, if not, I mean most, almost all of the families I have worked with come to some point of uh, acceptance and embracing um, their loved one's gender identity and their need to express it and transition to one extent or another. Um, Very rarely do I encounter or hear of total family ostracization or rejection um, or things like that. I know it's a reality. Um, Some huge percentage of homeless youth are LGBT and they're out on the street because their families didn't want them or Mm. couldn't tolerate them or gave them an ultimatum. But in terms of the families I see... um, it, it often comes to a good, positive resolution for everyone. And I think part of that is, as, as Jane talked about, you know, seeing Sarah blossom, seeing Sarah happy uh, is kind of, the, it, it, it seals the deal. It really mm-hmm. sells a parent on the idea of, my gosh, this, this must be right. I've never seen my child so happy. I, I've never felt so connected to, you know, they've, they've never been so connected to me. I mean, maybe at times it's conflictual, like being mousy, but, um, but they're truly being who they are. Mm. And that is, uh, you know, something a parent can't turn away from. Yeah. At some point, no matter what, you want your child to be happy and healthy. And uh, it's pretty um, important to most parents. Um, we're going to take a brief break, and, and when we come back, we, we want to ask Jane what, what made her realize gender transition was so important for her daughter. You've been listening to Psych Up with host Suzanne Phillips, and I'm here with Jane Baker, the author of Trading Places, When Our Son Became a Daughter, and Dr. Coretto, who's a specialist working with transgender youth and their families. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Do you want to expand the legacy that you leave behind? Get the inspiration you need by hearing from others who are doing just that. Listen for Your Why with host Nelina Varinas. The show features amazing guests who have saved lives, helped others, and brought forth hope to others around them. By hearing their stories, you can make some stories of your own. Your Why can be heard every Friday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Family caregivers face some tough challenges every day in caring for a partner, parent, child, sibling, friend, neighbor, or even co-worker. You are there to provide the care that these people need after everyone else has gone home. Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley will provide you with a social networking experience. You'll hear from experts and others who are experiencing the same things, and together you will promote a common cause. Tune in to Family Caregivers Unite, live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back. You're listening to Psych Up Live. I'm Dr. Suzanne Phillips, and I'm here with Jane Baker, author and psychologist, Dr. Coretto. We're really looking close at the transgender journey and how it affects individuals and the families who love them. Um, Jane, Dr. Coretto, I had asked her about the logistics and the mixed feelings about actually making a gender transition. At what point... With your daughter, Sarah, did you realize the transition was the correct choice for Sarah? Well, I, I need to describe a little bit of the history that we had with the first 20 years of life when Stephen was growing up uh, for a lot of this to make sense. Um, and it's just our story. I'm sure other stories are different. But uh, Stephen had always been the sweetest, kindest, intellectual, humble person for the first 20 years of growing up who, for some reason that I could never figure out, never fit in. He, he never seemed to fully connect with, with other children. He starting all, Even starting all the way back in preschool, I seemed to detect something within him, a, a, a kind of loneliness or a sadness that was laying dormant within him, even before he seemed aware of it himself. I mean, everybody liked him, and everybody wanted him on their group project team during school years because he was smart, but nobody ever called him up to play, and 
And he, nor did he ever ask to make a phone call to start a play date with another child. And um, so all those early dates were set up by, by us moms. He had a mystery about him, but I never once stopped and thought to myself, well, I wonder if my child is transgender. Mm. Totally never had a clue on that. But my husband and I continued to wait through the years of, of him growing up, try to figure out, Surely in the next phase of life he would fit in. He would find a place to belong. Mm-hmm. And our hearts were always filled with both pride in his accomplishments, but a pain as we witnessed him not finding a place to belong. Mm-hmm. Now, within a few months, within a few days practically of becoming Sarah, our child started to reach out to make more friends than ever before. Mm-hmm. He, it's the same thing to say, maybe... You know, but she actually started to seem more natural. She actually started to seem more normal. And the mystery behind our child's first 20 years was starting to make sense. Mm. Her her eyes got brighter. She seemed to stand taller. She seemed, for the very first time ever, interested in her appearance. Her social life picked up. She started getting dates in her first few months as a woman that Mm. she ever had in all the years before. And, you know, I, the irony is, is that while I was struggling with this transition, I knew that Stephen would have spent his, probably spent his whole life lonely and unhappy on so many levels. Mm. The way that we saw for the first 20 years, and I became convinced that Sarah had a much better chance of happiness than Stephen ever would have had. Wow. And, you know, Stephen used to stand back like an outsider and watch the people of the world go by. But Sarah today is actually one of them. And mm-hmm. this, this mysterious loneliness that we detected, you know, all those years within Stephen had completely vanished from Sarah. I, I have to say, you know, if, do I ever wonder if my child would have had playdates in kindergarten if she had been living as Sarah? all that time, and today I don't wonder anymore. I just know it. Wow. So you really have given us a great reason to understand why you knew that the transition was the correct choice for your beautiful daughter. Yes. Even though I mourn the loss of Stephen, why would I want a sad... It was a juxtaposition, you know. It was a, it was, it was a difficult transition for me uh, do I want a sad child on the brink of practically, you know, he spent some years in high school on suicide watch. Yeah, so I think you, your answer really yeah. and what you saw gave you the answer. I just want to move to Dr. Corrado for, for a minute. Dr. Corrado, from what you've heard of Jane, her story, and what you've shared, if you had to share something with a young person, a college-age person, a, a high school person who was a bit confused and possibly transgendered, what's the, you feel the most important thing that they should do? Well, I, I, I think, you know, to be open to exploring uh, and really f- taking the time to figure out um, what's going on, figuring out what their gender identity is, um, figuring out if, in fact, they are gender dysphoric, and then most importantly, even if they come to that conclusion, what they need to do about it, because it's not, uh, you know, it's not, 
it's not the same for any two individuals in terms of that journey and and what they must do or how they're going to do it or the timing of it. Um, one of the things I've learned as a therapist working with people going through this transition is that um, they must lead um, in terms of the timing and in terms of um, how things happen. Um, I may have a, I may think I know <laughs> what's best for them. Um, often, as parents think they know what's best for their children, uh, but it, but it's not. It has to be their process uh, on their terms. Um, and, and being able to sit with them, being able to help them tolerate the anxiety of the unknown and helping their families tolerate the anxiety of the unknown is, uh, I think, primarily my role. Mm, that's a very important one. So to a parent of, let's say, a 14-year-old um, boy who really wants, is a transgender woman, what would you suggest the role of the parent be, because the child's a minor, how should they proceed? Well, you know, first first off, you know, love your kid, uh, because, again, the statistics on uh, bad outcomes um, uh, when there's parental rejection are, are just staggering. Um, you know, be open to discussion, be available to your kid. Talk about issues of diversity and and um, you know in general. Um, don't always talk about the transgender topic because that's right, not right. that's not all your kid is. Um, yes, yes, yeah. So, and then um, you know, give them. The, you know, hook them up with support, uh, whether it's reading books like uh, Jane's or support groups. Um, you know, talking to other parents is is super valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, you know, certainly give them the statistics on, you know, the percentage of 14-year-olds who identify as transgender and, and persist in that. It's, it's a pretty high number, um, you know, but, but that's, you know, their kid's going to be an individual and their outcome is is yet to be determined, uh, and again, helping them tolerate that anxiety. I love the way you, you, you mentioned, first of all, I think meeting with other parents. I mean, even Jane told us it's when she heard another mother that it just, she felt somehow understood. I, I find with groups that's so true. But I think the message that to love your child and leave the spaces open for dialogue about anything. I mean, when we're worried about something, being a mother, I'm guilty of this. Every time, you know, if you're worried about, if, if a kid has asthma playing a sport, how are you feeling? How are you breathing? After a while, there's no way to go. So no matter what it is, when there's open spaces, I think there's more room for young people to question and for there to be, like, uh, more room to grow in many ways. So I, I really love that advice. Um I want to just go back now, and I thank you so much. Dr. Cradle, do you speak in schools? Do you? I wondered about that being a setting that really would want to learn more about this transgender status and the transition and what's involved. Yes, yes, I, I do uh, speaking engagements uh, in the community, in schools. Um, I train other therapists, uh, go to workplaces, um, you know, do a lot of advocacy work um, and, and speaking engagements, and that would be the other 
piece that I would add, you know, for, for the parents to go back to that question is, you know, advocate for your child. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because oftentimes they, you know, it's not just home that they're dealing with, but school and, and sometimes work settings and things like that. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, Jane, let's go back because this all started when I read your book and I thought uh, people have to hear this story. Um, Jane, the name of your book is Trading Places, When Our Son Became a Daughter. What does trading places mean? What made you choose that? Uh, Well, um, simply put, um, as my child became less dissonant and more whole, I became the fragmented one instead. Um, and it was as though we were trading places. And uh, as I was the one with the dissonance and I struggled to conjoin what I perceived to be two people, I, I had a perception 20, for 20 years of Stephen, who was really an unperceived Sarah. And I had an emerging perception of Sarah that was in the fading body of Stephen. And I woke up every day thinking one way and thinking the other way at the same time. And it was like a dissonance of my own. And wrestling to suppress this dissonance was very exhausting and futile. Uh, But I took those moments, those darkest moments of struggle, and I tried to take it as an opportunity to kind of empathize with dissonance. With, mm-hmm. with feeling dissonance, at least at, uh, on some kind of abstract level. And I began to understand, I used it as a way to begin to understand the driving force behind wanting to achieve a sense of unity, a sense of being whole that transgender people are trying to achieve. So it is because of the trade and because of the exercise I use to understand my child uh, that I decided to name this book Trading Places. Mm. It's interesting to me, uh, having read this uh, beautiful book, that you also went from, as you describe it, grief to pride in terms of your daughter. And she certainly went from a place that she felt she couldn't live in to being the woman that you describe her to be. Oh, yeah, I'm super proud. I'm super proud right now. I mean, we are not. I mean, I I can hardly believe where we were seven years ago. And six mm-hmm. years ago, and even five years ago, I kept thinking that we were making great progress every year. But now, you know, today, it's, it's, we hardly think about gender transition anymore. It's, it's, I have a son and a daughter, and, and I'm super proud of both of them. Life has resumed course. Um, it, you know, it was a journey, but life has resumed course probably. Um, we're even happier now than... Um, than we've ever been, or then mm-hmm. probably that we would have been had Stephen not come out to us, had Stephen not transitioned. I'm, I'm certain of that at this point. What do you think, Sarah? I'm, I'm going to ask you to share some of the beautiful afterward that Sarah wrote for the book, but what would you say, what did Sarah, um, how did she react when she heard you were going to write this book? Oh, she... <laughs> She thought it was very important to get the book out there because, you know, getting parents on board, um, it's important to try to get, to get, to get parents on board um, I, because once parents are on board, um, they touch everybody else that they, you know, that they encounter after that. Um, 
it, the parents can sometimes be at the heart of the problem for transgender people, but um, once they come on board, it ultimately is a is a uh, healthier and happier transition for their transgender ch- uh, child in the end. Mm. I think that a lot of parents of grown-up trans kids, because they've already moved out of the house, we're in the background, and a lot of us uh, of grown-up trans kids um, travel a very isolated journey, um, and, and a lot of them might want help uh, getting through this process, getting mm. on board. There was so wonderful through this book. She was my editor. She read it through every summer uh, when she was off school for accuracy, for editing. Um, she wrote the afterward. Um, she... Well, let me just stop you there because I don't want us to run out of time. I wonder if you could read a little tiny bit of that afterward, that, that part with this book is not about me. This is uh, from the afterward that my daughter wrote for my book. And uh, this and this is her words now. This book is not about me, but I can summarize what happened to me as my mom was going through the psychological events described in this book. My life began to make sense. And although my mom felt some fun foundational axioms of her social world unraveling around her at first, I believe her understanding of my life has begun to make sense as well. If this book had existed when I came out to my parents, I would have given them each a copy. It's just beautiful. You know, we're just about out of time. Dr. Corrado, I want to thank you for coming on the show and offering your expertise. Jane, I want to thank you for this beautiful book. Um, Let me take the time to say Jane's book is available on Amazon.com. And Dr. Antonio Corrado... Um, you can reach Dr. Coretto and all of her material and services at www.betreatedwell.com. Thank you both so much. I want to thank our listeners. This show and all prior shows are available as podcasts on my host site, my website, couplesaftertrauma.com, and on iTunes under Psych Up Live. Remember to drop me a comment or question at radiohostphillips.com. Mostly, thank you for listening today. We'll be back next week. Be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america variety channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericavariety.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network it's staff and management.